8 is where we're at tonight, Acts chapter 8. If you notice, uh, looking around, you don't have to look around too much, but notice there are a lot of children here tonight. That's a blessing. Thank you, parents, for bringing your children out to church. And uh, I will try to keep it short, never go too long on Sunday nights, so that if you children listen real well, I heard about one uh, young man who was in the service and causing all kinds of distractions and troubles, and his mother was vainly trying to keep him quiet and Finally, a deacon whispered something in the little boy's ear, and he immediately straightened up and listened carefully and didn't move or make any sounds the rest of the time. And after the service, the mom said, I've got to know what you told little Johnny that he was so good. And he said, well, I explained that if he messes up the pastor, if he's too loud, the pastor will lose his place, and he'll go back and start all over again and have to do the service again. And he did not want that, so he was very good. So uh, you listen, and I won't start over. Acts chapter 8, Stephen has just been stoned. We read about that last or two weeks ago. Last we had a missionary, but uh, we saw the story about how Stephen was stoned. The church, of course, would be rocked to its core. One of its uh, great uh, heroes of the faith, one of the primary men in the church, one of the seven that had been chosen to be deacon in the church, uh, was now dead. And uh, it will serve now to show us what this church is made of as we see what it does going forward. Now, I've, I've wondered at the actions of the church in general, uh, churches in the past few months. Uh, I guess history will tell us if it was a good thing to uh, shut down per the, as, a, as the government recommended and different uh, specialists told us. I'm not saying I regret our actions or that we did the wrong thing, but principally, principally, the church does not serve at the pleasure of the government. And so principally, we don't, uh, we don't get permission. You know, in May, uh, many states banned, in fact, there's still some today that are trying, uh, to, the state governments banned uh, the opening of churches at all. Thankfully, our state never did that. Uh, but uh, it, on May 22nd, President Trump uh, got up and encouraged uh, all churches to open, and he said, because churches are essential. And I'm grateful for that. I agree with him. Churches are essential. Uh, but there's something that just bothered me a little bit in the back of my mind about that because, hey, thank you, but we don't need permission. Amen. The church doesn't need the government's permission to open up, even though I'm grateful that uh, he saw that. So uh, again, just, just some thoughts I've been having and no one here but us. So I could... Uh, I just wanted to, to air that, uh, not, not saying I regret anything we did or didn't do. But at any rate, tonight, we're going to see how this church responded to this type of persecution in the fact that Stephen had just been killed. Now, let's start reading at verse number 1. Remember, there was a young man uh, watching the stoning of Stephen. He was sort of the supervisor of it as the young men who got uh, that... that uh, involved in actually throwing the stones and killing Stephen, laid their coats at his feet. Uh, I think that's a so, sort of symbolic of the fact that he was sort of running the show, and that was Saul. Now it talks about him in verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that's Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, 
they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. What? That seems like that's wrong, preaching the word. <laughs> that's something. There, ones that were scattered abroad, I was, you kind of expect it to say that they all hid, right? But no, they didn't. They said they went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, verse 5, went down in the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there were great joy in that city. For there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, going out that, giving out that himself was some great one. You thought Facebook was where that all started. But it started long before Facebook. He's promoting himself, giving out that he was some great one. Talking about the posts he put out. All right, to whom they all gave heed, verse 10, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. To him they had regard, because out of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us these few minutes together that we have, that you would just help us to see from the examples of Scripture how we can better serve you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see tonight uh, a new foe here. He's not new. He was already against them. But Saul is now being raised up kind of as a, uh, an involved member of active persecution and active resistance to the Christians. Uh, he looked on with approval the murder of Stephen. He did not see it as murder. Religion had blinded his eyes. Years later in 1 Timothy 1.13, he would say, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. Uh, He thought he was serving God. He thought he was a zealous child of God in stamping out this cult that called the the Christians that were uh, Jesus followers. And so uh, he, he thought he was doing the work of God, but he was not. Consenting to evil is as bad as committing the evil. So Paul or Saul at this time, uh, consenting to the death of Stephen, was guilty of Stephen's death. Saul may have been too refined to throw stones himself, but he held the coats of those who did. He was religious, and without religion, uh, or religion without the Holy Spirit, I should say, is one of the cruelest dynamics on the earth. Think about that. Religion without the Holy Spirit. Man-made religion. Think of Islam, how terribly cruel and wicked Islamics are. Uh, and that is a religion, and many other religions are, are, uh, are cruel in the way that they treat people. Religion's father, remember, is the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, the Bible says. So the death of Stephen here, as we see in the Word of God, uh, began a vicious persecution against the Jerusalem church. Nearly all of the opposition against the Christians in Acts came from the Jews. It's interesting there again, religion. Religion is cruel. Most uh, of the persecution in our history, and I, I say beyond the church, I'm talking about the Dark Ages and, and through the Reformation and all that. Most of the persecution that our Baptist forefathers went through was at the hands of religious people. And so religion is great cruelty without the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible describes it here as a great persecution. 
No further details are given except for the fact that it resulted in the believers being scattered all over Judea and Samaria. So really, all that Satan accomplished, don't miss this, is that he scattered the glowing embers of the church's fire far and wide. What did happen? What happened? Well, fire sprung up all over the place because of what, where they ended up. Uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria. Rather than going out into all these areas, they sort of were collecting in this Jerusalem megachurch. And in this uh, chapter, we see what God does with megachurches. He blows them out all over the place. I got nothing against megachurches, uh, a church just for its size, but it ought to have a scope that goes far beyond its area. So here they are through the persecution of Satan accomplishing the Holy Spirit's purpose. Now stop and think about that because sometimes uh, we, are, we face very mildly persecution and in that often is accomplished the Holy Spirit's purpose. God, the Bible says, makes the wrath of man to praise him. And we see that here. And in verse 1, they were all scattered abroad, the Bible says, except the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem. Maybe they did it out of duty. Uh, maybe the uh, persecutors that made a martyr out of Stephen left the, the apostles alone because they didn't want to make martyrs out of them. Maybe the apostles thought they should stay with the mother church there in Jerusalem. But at any rate, the Bible just mentions that they stayed there at this time. We'll see later they moved, back, uh, they, they moved out and visited Samaria. But uh, then the Bible says a devout men carried uh, Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. The church had lost a champion. He had been a great preacher, a great and fearless witness of the gospel. Now, I wonder, had he lived, if Stephen would have done the work later done by Paul? Uh, what kind of a person would he have been for God? He certainly had a clear vision of what the church was, what its purpose was, and its mission. But he left an example that has been followed by countless other martyrs since him. Uh, I got to tell you, when I read, whether it's Fox's Book of Martyrs or just stories about martyrs who gave their life, I always, at the very core of my being, think what a terrible, terrible waste it is when somebody that uh, close to God gets snuffed out, gets killed in horrible ways often. Yet, heavenly speaking, it's not a waste. Uh, in heaven's economy, there's a great value in martyrs. Read the book of Revelation, shows you that. And so, not... We don't always understand it, but Stephen's death accomplished a great work for God, uh, even though his life ended. Uh, as for Saul, the Bible says he made havoc of the church, verse 3, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. He has lost his cool. He is furious. The Bible says he made havoc of the church. He has his little black book of believers, his, all their phone numbers and addresses and web addresses and and uh, so he goes after them. He goes to their houses, drags them out of their homes. He breaks up services. The prisons overflowed. Later, the Bible says that Paul took collections in Romans 15.26 for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. How many of those saints were poor because of him? I wonder. Because of the effects of what he had done. This probably haunted him for the rest of his life. I've thought about this often when he preached in the Jerusalem church over the course of his ministry. Did he see people that he had affected in the crowd? Here you have a, a family without a father. Here are parents that lost a son. Here was a vid widow whose husband he had arrested. Uh, he had to deal with that the rest of his life. Verse 4, 
Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. The persecution is what began the worldwide witness of the church. Now, again, sometimes these things we repeat ourselves, uh, but I've said this before. Uh, persecution did not hurt the church. It hurts individuals, but it did not hurt the church. Persecution purified the church. You know what hurts a church? Popularity. In, in late, late in the last century in our nation, churches are popular. People go to churches. Even, even You meet somebody, if you talk to anybody about church, what's the number one thing they say if they don't go? They say, yes, I know I ought to go to church. You very rarely meet people who just disparage church. For the church, for the most part, people realize they probably ought to go even if they don't. But popularity has hurt the church more than persecution ever did. And I'm not wishing for persecution by any means, but we ought to uh, take our freedoms for grant, uh, not for granted and do something with them. So uh, we saw in the day of Pentecost uh, in chapter 2, verse 5, that devout men from, from every nation under heaven, the Bible says, had gathered at Pentecost. And those had heard the preaching of Peter. No doubt they took that truth home. But, but that was like a great tent meeting. And, and uh, it never stops there. It shouldn't end there. Uh, after the tent meeting, after the revival services, there ought to be discipleship. There needs to be follow-up. And so there was preaching heard at Pentecost. So people from all over the world were there. They went back to their places, and so the seeds were planted. Now it begins to grow as believers are scattered far and wide. They're going everywhere preaching the word. And uh, it is interesting to me that, it's, that even though they were scattered, they certainly were not silenced and what a testament to who this church was. It begs the question for us, what will it take to silence us? I mean this with all my heart. You pray for wisdom for the deacons and pastors and us here uh, at, at our church as we look to honor God going forward. I do not think for a minute we've seen our last shutdown. I, don't think for a, I think that this is uh, just my opinion I don't think this is an isolated incident going forward. I think that we're going to see some things that uh, we're seeing things now that five years ago we'd have never dreamed of. What will we be seeing five years from now? And so you pray that we have the wisdom to do what the Lord would have us do and honor Him. But here's a, here's, then we see not only a new foe here in the first verses, but we see a new field emphasis. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. We read that verse, and we cannot realize what kind of out-of-the-box thinking this was in that day. You just did not go to Samaria if you were respectable. You did not associate with them. They were dogs. They were looked down upon. They were lesser human beings. And, and uh, I have no doubt that when Philip probably... He's in the church. You, you, you make a trip like, hey, you're going to go to Samaria and do a missions trip to Samaria. I'm sure it was discussed. I don't know if he presented. I don't know if he raised funds. But I'm sure if he talked it up at all, he got much, uh, much heat for, for going to the Samaritans. Why in the world would you go to the Samaritans? Samaritans are subhuman. They're subpar. There were, people were incredibly racist against the Samaritans. Why would you go to Samaria? But Philip, one of the seven deacons chosen, uh, they had chosen well. 
Uh, one of them has just become a great martyr of the faith. Now we'll see one become a great missionary of the faith. Philip was a Hellenist Jew. He wasn't prejudiced like some were. He took the call to go to Samaria seriously. Say, preacher, where's the call to go to Samaria? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. That's where the command is right there. But hey, I, I wonder if Philip, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Boy, gave that command all the way back there. It's been, I think, five or six years uh, since Jesus has been uh, taken into heaven. And here, all this time, nobody's went to Samaria. I think I'll go to Samaria. What a blessing. It would not be a popular mission field that day, but a true mission-minded child of God will not see color of skin and not see social condition. He'll see a heart in need of the gospel. And that's what uh, Philip saw in them. Samaria was north of Judea. Just to give you a little history, the area had been settled by pagans, uh, with, by the Assyrians with pagans. They had deported thousands of Israelites from the city of Samaria and the northern kingdom. They had replaced them with heathens from elsewhere. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 17. Uh, these people had built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. They viewed it just as sacred as the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And the bad feeling between the Jews and the Samaritans had deep roots, years and centuries of bad feelings between these two people. The Jews never accepted them. They considered them religious and racial dogs. The Bible refers to them as that, or knows that people, talks about people referring to them as that. They refused to have nothing, to, anything to do with them. So what did Philip do? He preached Christ to them. Loaded up with a bunch of tracts, put them in the back of his van, and heads off to Samaria. He's going to go on a missions trip. A little platform, he's going to get up and preach Christ. What a blessing. Not Judaism, but Christ. Not religion, but Christ. That's what he's going to preach to them. You have to wonder if in that audience was a woman, a few years older now, who, quite a, who about a decade ago came to a well one day to pull water and met a man who told her all about herself. And now she's in that crowd today. Uh, she and many others would recognize the message as truth. Remember, she went and told everyone what happened to her. So she had already been a witness. The preaching of Christ to needy hearts cannot help but make an impact. It's not that we are not surrounded by needy hearts. It's that we don't preach Christ to them like Philip did. And so it was. Verse 6, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Hey, they already had religion. What they needed was Christ. Jesus also did not yield to racial prejudice. He also went, remember he said, I must needs go through Samaria. It was here that he had said in John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I have to wonder what the disciples, not, hey, he's not talking about Samaria, is he? He was talking about Samaria. That's where he was at when he talked about the white harvest, uh, the field white to harvest. After talking to the woman at the well, uh, if you go back to John chapter 4, you'll read about this, but they begged him to stay, and Jesus did stay for another two days. Maybe Philip reminded them of that, of when Jesus was among them and what he had taught them. The Bible's silent on what he did for those two days, but no doubt uh, if he was like he was everywhere else, he was healing, he was preaching, he was teaching, and, and doing just what Jesus did. Maybe he told them about James and John. Hey, there was a time when some of you wouldn't listen, 
And so James and John stepped outside your village and they suggested to Jesus that we call down fire and burn the lot of you. And then tell them what Jesus said. Oh, certainly he had their attention and he gave them the gospel. And the Bible says, with one accord, they listened. Verses 6 and 7, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed. The power of God through Philip caused demons and disease to flee. There's there's so much talk of demon activity in the Gospels and Acts that I have to believe it's a problem in every age. Modern psychology, I think, has done a lot to divert our attention from demon activity today. We have a lot of explanations for devious human behavior. We can call it phobias, psychosis, syndromes. We find the causes in childhood. and Didn't get enough hugs from mommy or whatever the reasons might be that we have these problems. But uh, I have to wonder if we aren't a little quick to discount active demon oppression today. Uh, all you got to do, look at the news. And you'll see what looks like a whole bunch of demons loose right now and doing their work. Uh, I'm very careful. I don't like, to, I've, I've, I've known people and other preachers even that Every slightest time somebody does anything the oddest or different, uh, oh, he's demon-possessed. I don't think we ought to go that far, but demon activity is real, and Satan certainly is not slowing down his work. There was rejoicing, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. And no surprise. Guess what revival always uh, produces? Joy, rejoicing. When people get right with God, Guess what happens? They get right with one another. And then guess what happens? There's joy. There's rejoicing. The fruit of the Spirit that's listed first is love, and then it's joy, because we ought to be joyful people. Turn those three things loose in any community, love, joy, peace, and you watch what follows. The Bible says in Psalm 114, 15, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Oh, then there's that word that I don't like to see, uh, but, in verse 9. But, there was a certain man called Simon. Isn't that just how it is? Everywhere there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's repentance, there's revival, there's renewal, but, everywhere in the life, except in the life of one person. And that's all it takes often. We've We've probably, if you've been in church any number of years, you've seen the havoc that one person can wreak from within if you, uh, in the midst of the church, if they're not on board with uh, trying to please the Lord. One man here is bound and determined to cause problems. He's used of Satan. And the man has met his match. He's got some power. Satan can give a person power. Don't mistake that. But it's not as much power as what God has available. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so he had nothing compared with the power of Philip. So who was this Simon? Talks about him for a few verses here. Satan had already tried money as a means of stopping the church with Ananias and Sapphira. Then he had tried murder to stop the church in the case of Stephen. Now he's going to try mimicry. Imitation, but I needed an M. Okay, so he's going to try mimicry. I want to be like Pastor Forsberg, get them all in the same uh, alliterated, you know. He's going to try imitation. Now, he had a man ready, a willing agent. It seems that Satan's plan was to have this man 
indicate some form of conversion to get into the church. From within the church, he would have a greater foothold than from without the church. You know why? We always see more destruction from within the church than from without. Satan knows that. There's actually some history about Simon Magnus. That's who this was. Magus, I should say. Uh, I don't know how much of it is true. He's known as the founder of Gnosticism, which is a heresy that has plagued the church ever since the first century. Uh, Supposedly, he performed miracles in Samaria. The Bible talks about that a little bit. And later in Rome, during the reign of Claudius. It is said that in Rome, he provoked the authorities against the Christians and, and caused even more persecution for them. In the end, as you see here, he tries to build himself up as a great person so that supposedly at the end of his life, he tried to, resur- uh, to uh, emulate the resurrection of Christ by being buried alive, and he said he was going to raise the third day. That was the last anyone's ever heard of Simon Magus. But uh, according to the secular history, anyway, whether or not those things are true, he did have power. He had psychic powers. He used these satanic gifts to dazzle people and mesmerize the people here in Samaria. Look at his motive in verse 9. Why did he do it? Well, it says in the last part of the verse, giving out that himself was some great one. He enjoyed the reputation he established for himself. People were impressed with his mysterious powers. And he cultivated this by announcing to everybody that he was a great person, telling them. He was a self-promoter. He was inflated with pride. He would have loved social media. He had fallen into the clutches of the devil. Whenever God is at work in a church, look out for a Simon Magus. There's almost always someone there. Satan will have one of his agents ready uh, because the work of God does not go forward without friction. It does not go forward without uh, Satan interceding and trying to destroy it. Now look at verse number 10 and 11. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of that of long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. So he was established. He wasn't just some quack. Uh, He had real satanic power. He could do real supernatural things. He had a wide following from all ranks of society, the greatest and the least. So that's that's important because uh, sometimes uh, people that um, maybe are more uneducated, they are uh, a little bit less knowledgeable about things work. Uh, Let's just use P.T. Barnum's phrase, there's a sucker born every minute, all right? There's every society has its suckers. But this is, the Bible's saying here's not just the suckers. I mean, the least to the greatest, everyone uh, was behind him. And so he had this following. He had been practicing sorceries for a long time, and he was a well-established power in Samaria. He claimed the title, the great power of God. Guess who was not intimidated by this man? Philip. He wasn't. Look at verse 12. I find this interesting. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. It just assumes, it does not say, but it just takes for granted that if he's going to believe Christ, they're going to deny Simon. That's kind of a, just an unspoken truth here. That's what the word but means. They all lifted him up, but when they believed Philip, they were baptized. Philip's spirit-led preaching produced some immediate results. These people believed, they were baptized. It's important to see that their faith 
in Simon became because because of his miracles. But their faith in what Philip preached came by the preaching of the Word of God. Look, it says so specifically. But they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Did Philip do miracles? Yes, he did. Was that why they believed? No, it was not. They believed because of the preaching of the Word of God. Now, it's important because uh, it's... Faith that rests on miracles is not worth much. Some, I I believe the same thing could be said about sensationalism. And today we, unless your name is Benny Hinn, and I don't believe those are real, but uh, today in our churches we don't so much do miracles as we practice sensationalism. And, And if people come for that, if you win people with sensationalism, you need more sensationalism to keep them. People who come for loaves and fishes will have to be kept with loaves and fishes. Jesus himself recognized that in John 6, 26, when he told the crowd, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Bunch of people are here looking for a free meal. That's what they are. Jesus said, you're seeing me as a meal ticket. Didn't even come for the miracles. But Philip here preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. You can be sure that he preached what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Uh, the people responded at once. This was the real thing. When you have the real thing, it makes Simon and his bag of cheap tricks look like uh, child's play. Now they saw and heard something real. The great power of God was found in Philip's preaching. It was claimed by Simon found in Philip's preaching of the Word of God. And I love it, by the way, nowhere in this passage do you see Philip refuting Simon. Not at all. He preached the truth. Don't worry about Simon's yipping in the background. Uh, He preached Christ. So Simon lost his disciples, uh, but he wasn't done yet. He tries a different tactic. If you cannot beat them, join them. So look what happens next in verse number 13. Then Simon also, or himself believed also, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now we have a clue here, we're not even going to get into it tonight, uh, what happens next, because that'll be next week's message, but uh, we have a clue here, it's interesting, remember in verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. They believed Philip's preaching about the word, but look at what Simon Simon believed also and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Simon's faith was counterfeit from the start. All right, we're going to see this a little bit later in verses upcoming. He was not won by Philip's message. He was won by Philip's miracles. He believed, it says. But what did he believe in? Uh, Whatever it was that he believed It did not regenerate him. It was not real. That's made clear with what happens next. So he presumably deceived Philip. He might even have deceived himself. Probably deceived everyone else. Can you imagine the excitement of the meeting that night? When Simon walks the aisle, he gets saved. Man, there's rejoicing. There's uh, people that that, uh, knew of his sorcery and all these things. Surely they would be thrilled. But what Simon wanted was not the master, he wanted the miracles. He did not want the Savior, he wanted the signs. We need to be very careful in our personal witnessing to discern between those who believe and those who really believe. 
And it's important. You know, that there's a, there's a whole movement when I was growing up, and it's still going on by some today, called easy believism. You just say, I remember the very first time I went soul winning. I was 11, 11 years old. I found another boy about my age in the park. And I, this, was my, this was my method of soul winning. I told him my name. I asked him his name. I said, you don't want to go to hell, do you? No, I don't want to go to hell. Then say this prayer. I was done. He was saved. Amen? It takes a little more than that, doesn't it? That uh, easy believism type, we need to be, make sure people understand. And so uh, Simon, though, he went as far as to be baptized here. All right, now we're going to get to 14. We have a little interjection here before we see what happens next with Simon. I want to just talk about in closing, but the Bible says, verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. It's been, like I said, about six years since the resurrection of Christ. It's been six years since they've been given the Great Commission. For six years they have done nothing according that's recorded in the Bible to get the gospel to Samaria. All right? Now, Samaria was not high on their priority list. It must have come as a shock to them that Philip went preaching to the Samaritans and you mean God's even saving Samaritans? <laughs> the Samaritans are getting saved? The evangelizing of that area was now taking place without them. By the way, God will never leave himself without a man to do his will. His will will be accomplished. The news of the revival there convinced them to send a delegation to see what's going on. Uh, I don't know, this is just speculation, but I'm wondering if there wasn't just a little bit of the mother church attitude here in Jerusalem. They're the ones that were uh, the main ones. That's where the apostles were. And, and, uh, but the explosion of church growth would soon get rid of that idea. The church is not an organiz organization. It is an organism. It's alive. Uh, the bride of Christ. It's not the spiritual Israel that's to be run by men at the head. Rather, it's the mystical body of Christ directed by heaven, energized by the Holy Spirit. And, but Jesus is the head. We call that the autonomy of the local church. It's a very important doctrine that we as Baptists hold to. If you do the acrostics, uh, the acrostic, it is uh, the A in Baptist, uh, the autonomy of the local church. Uh, one of the most influential characteristics of the local church is its organizational structure. Uh, the most basic definition of the word autonomy is self-rule or self-governance. All human authority, uh, doctrine and practice of a local church lies within that local church itself. In other words, there is not uh, the local church this this church, as an example, is completely self-governing. There's a reason for that. Uh, we do not hold ourselves to some diocese on a distant city. Uh, we are self-governing within ourselves. There's no hierarchy, and there's a really important reason for that. I'll give you one example. This isn't our lesson tonight, but I just thought I'd mention it here. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, that's the ELCA. That's the largest Lutheran body in the U.S. They currently allow LGBTQ marriage and ordinations. They allow clergy, uh, LGBTQ clergy. Uh, they state that they are in, those individuals are welcome and encouraged to become members. 
Now, let's say you're a conservative church, a part of the ELCA. They have spoken for you. You now, because of your association, are lumped in with that kind of thinking. You see how the authority of Christ is watered down when we become part of a larger body like that? And so the autonomy of the local church is very important. We are led by our head, Jesus Christ, and so that's important for us to remember. But next week, we're going to look at John and uh, Peter and John's visit to Samaria. We're going to see Simon rear his ugly head again and what he's going to do, and it'll give us some warnings to deal with even in our day here. I love reading through the, and studying through the book of Acts because it's so relevant. I mean, it is. they dealt with things we deal with. They had the same problems we have. And you think, man, might need to go to another church because this church has too many problems. Well, wherever you go, they're going to have problems too. And even if you went to where Philip goes and where Peter went, they had problems. Amen? So every church has problems because it contains people. One day, I will start a church with no people, and we will have no problems. Amen? Not, I'm just kidding. We, we need the people. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this, time, this, uh, ch- this challenge.